it's big like these nuts <laughs> and it's weird like skinwalker ranch i'm abby and i'm emily and this is <laughs> biscuit and this, this is, is big weird world, world the, the podcast. podcast uh what episode are we on is this number six six oh wait six, six. yeah yeah okay <laughs> okay anyway what's new guys yeah tell us okay we're listening okay yeah sounds great wow yeah wow. gas prices crazy yeah yeah wow um yeah what else okay no. okay we don't care yeah no. okay, <laughs> enough that's uh, so what's going on with you em <gasps> nothing same old same old me go to work me come home me try to do podcast abby don't want to do podcast until i go to bed okay what's new with you um same old same old you know go to work get off work come home go night night mm-hmm anyway guys sorry for the delay once again yeah sorry guys but uh what are we doing we can just jump right on into it because this is this might be a long one uh today me oh my gosh hold on we should probably say tomorrow's our birthday so tell us tomorrow's our birthday (laughs) we just forgot we're like what's new yeah just yeah we're just talking oh yeah we're gonna be 22 i almost said 21 no we're past that now it feels like a perfect night anyway yeah we're like really old now i had to put on abby's diaper for today (laughs) stop making shit up nigga all right (laughs) anyway oh yeah oh yeah i'm drinking piss water today my my, i was gonna drink modello because i was just in the mood but i left my modello outside so it's kind of warm and i don't want that piss water she's drinking a modello i mean i'm drinking a michelob that's what i'm calling piss water modello is like like fancy piss water right mexican mexican piss water Mm -hmm. better than corona i'd say i'm gonna burp now do it <laughs> oh i did too at the beginning didn't i yeah you did we're getting yeah. really comfortable getting really comfortable okay well this is emily's <laughs> episode emily's gonna be talking about what what are you gonna talk about today i'm talking about the hollywood ripper oh shit yeah and this is a doozy, it's a doozy. let me tell you <laughs> it's, a, it's a crazy one um i'll go ahead and tell you um what do, you, do you know anything about this case i know about this case but it has been some some time since i have listened to a podcast or read anything up on about it read anything up on about it read anything about it so yeah here recently actually um uh he finally got you know the hollywood river finally got convicted for you know all his charges and whatnot mm-hmm. so i mean it's it's pretty hot off the press you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so that's why i thought it, it kind of i don't even know how i came across it uh i think i think on facebook and you know everybody knows this case because it has something to do with ashton kutcher mm-hmm. and so that i saw it i mean like we had, i had heard about it before but i saw it on facebook because it had come back up because you know here recently about the convictions and all that and i was like damn this is mighty interesting i didn't realize um you know there was so much to it yeah uh but anyway yeah that's what i'm gonna talk about today um i've had this sitting on sitting in my nuts for a little while just been waiting on ale right it's been sitting on ice just a a dick in an ice box right right like a all right Lorena right. bobbit yeah that cut cut her husband's dick off oh oh we should talk about that one day we'll get to it 
Anyways. Yeah, if you ever sit down and do a podcast, we shut the fuck up. Hey, take it away. Take it away, uh, oh, my turn. All right, all right. So let's go on and get into it. The Hollywood Ripper. Uh, his uh, name is Michael Thomas Garzulo. And he is a convicted American serial killer. Known as Hollywood Ripper. What I just said. So anyway, let's get into him a little bit. Uh, he was born uh, February 15th, 1976 in Suburban. Someone just had a birthday. Oh, yeah, sorry. In Suburban. <laughs> in prison. <laughs> he just had a birthday in prison, yeah. Uh, suburban Chicago. Uh, he moved to Southern California in the 1990s. And, ga- and that's how he gained his nickname, the Hollywood Ripper. Uh, he was convicted of two counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to death on July 16th, 2021. So, I mean, like, he just got, you know, I mean, Oh, he was sentenced to back. death? Yes. In 2021? Mm-hmm. In the state of California, yeah. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So, prosecutors described Michael Garzillo as a serial psychosexual thrill killer who stalked and then viciously stabbed his unsuspecting victims. Yeah, so... That explains the nickname. So anyway, uh, so he used to be a bouncer and an air conditioning repairman uh, in Chicago. And um, watch out for your. Unfortunately, repairman. he's the father of two kids. Bless him. And uh, like I said, yeah, he's he's on death row, baby. And uh, a Los Angeles jury found Garzillo guilty in August of 2019 for killing 22-year-old Ashley Ellerin in 2001 and Maria Bruno, 32, in 2005. Uh, Both women were viciously stabbed multiple times in their Los Angeles area homes. And he was also found guilty guilty of the attempted murder of Michelle Murphy, who was stabbed multiple times. So he had three victims? Can I finish? I'll save my questions for the end. All right. Yeah, I'm about to tell you. <laughs> okay. So, like I said, he was also found guilty guilty of the attempted murder he of Michelle. He almost said again. Guilty. Guilty. <laughs> guilty. I do. Murder of Michelle Murphy, who was stabbed multiple times in her Santa Monica home in 2008. Mm-hmm. Garzillo also faced a murder charge in Chicago. Uh, the death of an 18-year-old Trisha Picasso. Fuck, I lost count. Four. Okay. Four fucking victims. Adam. All right, go ahead. <sighs> I don't really know how to say Trisha's last name. It's hard. It's like Picasso. I don't want to Picasso. I'm going to say Picasso. And she was found stabbed to death outside her uh, home in 1993. Garzulo was only 17 years old at the time of Trisha's Trisha's death. Whoa. Yeah, so he was 17. Yeah, 1993. Uh, And he was a friend of her brother's that lived around the corner from the Picasso's. And, Watch out for um, your uh, friend's brothers. Another thing that was said in, in the court was, uh, uh, damn, what are those people? Not the defense. Jehovah's Witness. Girl, shut up. Anyway, he was, you know, described <laughs> like he watched and waited for the perfect opportunity to kill and blitz-style knife, knife, knife attacks <laughs> and okay. then escape detection. <laughs> So that's a little summary about him. We really don't give a fuck about him, so I, I quit. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. I don't remember his name. Gurzilio? Mark. Yeah. Mark Garzillo. Wow. What Ma- a name. I, damn, I done forgot his name too. Michael Garzillo. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so. Fuck you, dude. We're going to talk about the first victim, Trisha Picasso. Um, Trisha. You know, she was really pretty and she was popular in school. Um, 
she was they described this is how they described her they said that she was like a parent's dream and a friend's good fortune she was a straight mm-hmm. I, I cannot talk she was a straight a student you're fired and she was really smart she was on the uh, debate team uh a girl wrote in her uh she went to glenbrook south high school lord and a girl wrote in the yearbook saying uh she liked meeting interesting people who had the same desire as me to save the world yeah uh also said she was a beautiful person inside and out full of energy full of life always happy and cheerful and that was uh said a close friend of trisha's uh one of the last everybody needs a trisha in their life yeah pretty much uh she was one of the last people to see her alive that said that and um she said in high school you got clicks you got girls who are snobby you got girls who are insecure and they take it out on other people she was just not one of those people she was genuinely nice to everybody so everybody loved her i love her i love her too so uh (laughs) hold on i'm gonna open up this can listen cracking open a cold one all right anyway. continue to your uh and uh by the way uh michael garzilla he goes by mike so that's why i'm gonna keep referring to him as as i go so uh mike Let's had known refer to him as shithead yeah shithead <laughs> listen okay mike had known the picasso family and um he was a friend of trisha's younger brother doug uh he'd even been in their house a few times and uh Mike and Trisha attended the same high school at the same time. Uh, the two were never friends and could barely even be called acquaintances. Like, they didn't run in the same cliques or mm-hmm. nothing. But one thing made sense. And that was Mike had a reputation around the neighborhood as a short-fused bully with a violent temper. Oh, shit. So it was August 14th, 1993 was the night of her death. Uh, Trisha and a group of her friends uh, had gone on a road rally scavenger hunt as a last hurrah before leaving for college so they were all getting ready to leave for college and they were just doing like a last little fun thing together so and uh Tr- trisha was going to go study engineering at purdue university okay then yeah she was she was going to make some shake so after a late dinner at they went to tgi tgi fridays the group hung out in a parking lot and later according to detectives trisha dropped off two friends at their cars and then she drove herself home and police believe she was murdered sometime between 1 a.m so no like between 1 and 2 a.m someone approached her and um twisted her left arm so hard it snapped then plunged a knife into her half a dozen times on the stoop of the side door to her home like she literally got out of her fucking car like was getting her keys out to unlock the door to get into the house and this happened so uh yeah by the time the by the time the killer was finished trisha picasso had began had been stabbed in the heart the lung the abdomen her arm her collarbone and her back wow. so yeah uh rick rick picasso that's her dad uh found her slashed up <sighs> blood splat uh, spatter body uh the next morning uh he was coming out to walk the dog and this is what he said he said um actually what i saw were her her two little tennis shoes sticking up and uh he said that he fell to his knees that day and screamed his cries uh echoed through the cul-de-sac that they lived on and then um diane picasso was her mom uh and she blacked out when she went out there you know he was screaming so she runs out there you know she blacked out when she saw her and both both of her parents were taken to the hospital because they were in such shock holy shit and so when this investigation began detectives uh they had a few good leads 
Uh, so for starters, you know, it was a their neighborhood. They lived, you know, around a little cul-de-sac, and it was really peaceful. Uh, Hubber Lane was where it was. Uh, it was just a nice little place. So mm-hmm. this something like this happened, and they're like, okay, what the fuck? So obviously you'd think it would be somebody who's not from the neighborhood, Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. But um, so when the investigation started, you know, they were asking a bunch of they were seeing what, what was going on around that night. And there was a right. pool party uh, at a neighbor's house across the street. So police collected physical evidence, including Trisha's keychain, which they found next to her, and her fingernail clippings. They also found a man's shoe print. Then, too, there was the nature of the attack, uh, which, you know, stabbing murders were uh, really rare. And, you know, I mean, they're random, too. Uh, the attackers usually have uh, some type of association with their victims, like some usually- personal it's personal to stab yeah. somebody but you're uh, so close and shit and so that's what they're thinking they're like okay this is personal so they started going down the list of her friends uh her friends students that she was going to school with her current and ex-boyfriends uh people who lived in the neighborhood just anybody that seemed to you know had seen or heard something different like right. did somebody have a problem with her or whatever so the sheriff's office in glenview <laughs> in glenview they thought they'd you know they'd have control of the case they're like okay some surely somebody saw something in this small ass cul-de-sac these kids at this party somebody saw something but you know uh weeks stretched into months and months into years and uh every time they had a promising lead it just seemed to just went nowhere yeah it went nowhere it was yeah so detectives did interview guests who had been at that pool party only to find out that no one had seen anything uh it was foggy that night and people you know i mean nobody saw anything uh several of trisha's friends uh refused to talk says um and uh, mark baldwin uh he he worked the case from 1997 to 1999 uh he was a detective with the sheriff's office but uh he said the parents would say okay listen the cops are here you don't have to talk to them and uh they just slammed the doors in in all the detectives face i guess i don't know like I don't know what that was about. Like, they were just like, don't talk to the cops. So they just told these kids, you know, you don't have to talk to these police. So they just slammed the door in their faces. Okay, and um, so as for the physical evidence, you know, they had the keychain and they had the fingernail clippings. And those were examined. Uh, but the testing methods of that time, I mean, this is 1993, 1995, around that, you know. Um, it wasn't as good as, of course, as today's standards. So it was... Bitch, I thought this was 2001. No, this is 1993. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna let it slide this we time. Don't, we don't let it slide. But anyway, you know, <laughs> do not serve on, bitch. So technology went all that great. So they didn't have much to go on with that. And then the shoe print, you know, turned out to belong to her dad that they found, and uh, he had left it at the crime scene, you know, because I mean he was just frantic after discovering, you know, his daughter mutilated out there. Oh so, yeah, yeah. So that that's kind of that's where that went um uh, so that the motive was not there and sexual assault was out because trisha uh had clothes on and she had you know no sign of you know those kind of injuries yeah yeah and uh nothing had been taken from her so robbery didn't fit uh but it was just the brutality of the crime suggested that it was personal yeah. but investigators could not find anyone who felt that way about trisha 
So it fuck it fucking went cold. Uh, so for the next four years, the Picasso family, Rick, Diane, and uh, that's her mom and dad, and then Trisha's two brothers, they couldn't bear to live in the house. So instead, they lived with Diane's mom, uh, Trisha's grandmother, and then uh, her dad returned, uh, you know, to water the plants and shit at the house. They kept paying the house because you know they, they kept her room and everything the same. And like oh. to this day, that it's her room is still the same. I'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, her dad said that he didn't want anyone to know that they weren't weren't there. So he'd come by and water the plants and shit, you know. But they just couldn't stand to live in the house. Uh, they didn't give up on the case. Uh, Diane uh, constantly was, you know, going to the sheriff's office and talking to the detectives, you know, several times a week. And she was so persistent that they actually began to, they started putting her off. Uh, Eric was talking about uh, one time, uh, I remember a detective calling and saying, you better come get your wife. Uh, they wouldn't let her in. They had her sitting outside. You wouldn't treat a dog like that. So they started, like, treating her shitty because she was coming so much. I mean, she just wanted to know about her fucking daughter. They yeah. need that closure, yeah. you know, like, what, who did this and why? So, uh, and, of course, nowadays that the Cook County Sheriff declines the comment on that case saying, you know, we didn't le- let her sit out. outside. Yeah, but anyway... They were still pushing for it, and now in ni- and then in 1997, Michael Sheenan, the sheriff, uh, then assigned a new investigative team, including the detectives John Reed and Mark Baldwin. And they were, you know, they're both retired now, but that was who was on the case. And um, he said the case was pretty much in a dormant status. Uh, we went out and beat the bushes and relocated people who had been approached back when the homicide went down. And this was in 1997 that they're revisiting it, So, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, we hoped with the passage of time and the maturity maturity of some of her classmates that they might be more forthcoming with information. Right. Uh, and they were. And within months, Baldwin and Reed had a prime suspect. And it wasn't Michael Garzullo. It was actually a formal class former classmate of Garzillo's at Glenbrook South High School who knew the he knew the family and everything so that's who they were suspecting mm-hmm. and at the time uh the detective said that they suspected uh that Mike might have been involved with the crime but uh they interviewed him several times but he didn't go you know he didn't talk about his background much he was just kind of like you know this wasn't me God, yeah. I don't know what happened he was like they said that he was like acting really kind of shocked about it uh And they just knew he was a weird-ass kid also because, like I said, like he had a little shitty temper and stuff around. And um, this is what a guy said, Scott Olson, who played in band with him. He said, to watch him in action was something else. This guy would go from normal to crazy in like a second. If he had something he wanted to do and something got in his way, he would go completely nuts. The switch would flip and he would just become almost inhuman. Damn. <laughs> yeah, so. Probably has something going uh, on. And like I said, you know, he was... My, Mike uh, lived with his parents and uh, siblings five houses away from Trisha's house. And, you know, he was just a regular, regular, uh, well, I mean, he wasn't regular, regular, but he was just one of the neighborhood kids uh, that came to their house. Because, like, kids always came to their house. You know, Trisha's brother, like, knew everybody. And um, they were saying, like, uh, his dad was always working on a car, and he would show some of the boys in the neighborhood how to tear an engine apart, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Said his mom was always cooking something, and... Uh, it was just a household where unusual shit didn't happen yeah. in the middle of the night, you know. Uh, she said uh, they said that friends would pop in and say, "Hey, Miss P, uh, Miss P, you know, what are you cooking?" 
So, like they said, the Picasso's house was just like a little hangout. Like, everybody was just in the cul-de-sac. So, anyway. But unlike everybody else that came to their house, uh, Mike never seemed comfortable. Uh, Diane told detectives that she would set some food in front of him, and he'd pick it up, and he'd start pacing back and forth like a caged animal. Uh, She'd ask, say, um, why don't you sit down with everyone else? And he said, well, I can't. And he'd take off out the door. Uh, You know, him being social, his, like, social awkwardness, uh, you know, it kind of was like, "Mm," it raised the eyebrow with the detectives. They were like, okay, so he liked that. You know, being, like, weird in y'all's house and shit. So, after Trisha's murder, he began sending gifts. Michael was, like, started sending shit to them. Um, Yeah, Diane said, I hardly knew this guy, but he sent me flowers. He bought Rick a shirt. He sent us a coupon for a restaurant. It was weird. And so, in the summer of 1997, detectives saw an opening. Uh, Mike had actually been charged with a felony uh, where he uh, robbed a car, (laughs) basically. Uh, And so, that's when they decided, oh, we got this kid now for this shit. Let's see what he knows about Trisha's murder. So, uh, and they told him, you know, if you help us out with this, we'll knock it down to a misdemeanor with no jail time. And, uh... Reed, you know, one of the detectives said, you know, uh, Mike's lawyer was ecstatic, uh, saying, you know, that they were trying to trick him into do, saying something that was, you know, going to be wrong, whatever. Yeah. And uh, Reed was saying, you know, we weren't trying to trick him or anything, but <clears throat> Mike refused to talk anyways. And they were just like, fuck, he's not, he's not giving us anything. Uh, he turned down what was basically a walkout, walk out of a felony conviction, and that'll stick with him for life. And that's when the prosecutor said, have you even looked at this guy? We should look at him a little more. So, uh, the Picassos, meanwhile, you know, they had their own encounters with Mike, you know, as this is going on. And, um, one that today still gives them chills is what Diane said. Uh, she said it was a fall day in 1998 and she heard a knock, uh, at the side entrance of their house. When she opened the door, uh, yeah, when she opened the door, it was um fucking mike sorry i lost my train of thought and um it was like is mr p home she recalls him asking and then diane said that her husband was you know she's like he's still at work and mike's like well i'll sit here and i'll wait for him and diane said that she was kind of shocked she was like um he had never been in this house for more than five or ten minutes but he sat down in this chair and in the kitchen and he waited for over an hour for uh, rick to get home so when he got home you know he was too he was surprised too he was like okay what the fuck is this kid doing but he was like okay maybe he knows something were they gonna get answers you know whatever so uh just as mike was about to like speak uh mike's parents uh came through the door it was actually he was it was actually his dad and his sister said that he they burst through the door and they didn't knock or anything they just opened the door came in and grabbed his ass Damn. so i wonder if like the parents knew something too and this is like the only thing that you hear about like his parents right here so i don't really know but they had to have known something because they came in there and just grabbed him and um diane said they just that rick and diane just looked at each other like what the hell just happened and um rick said i said to diane did you see his face it looked like he wanted to tell me something and rick said that he immediately got on the phone and told cook uh, county detectives what happened and that was actually the last time the Picasso saw Mike. Oh, shit. 
who they were now convinced was definitely involved in Trisha's murder. So almost immediately after that encounter, uh, Mike moved 2,000 miles away to a new life in Los Angeles. So it was like... It was like his dad and his sister just bust up in their house. Because I guess they had to have known something. Because like, well, we gotta go get him. And then all of a sudden they let him move to fucking Los Angeles. Yeah, so they were like, like oh, how what, funny. The fuck is, what the fuck is, you know, Mike doing over there? It's Picasso's. Oh, yeah, or shit. What, what's that last name? Picasso's. That's what I'm saying. Picasso's. I think it's Picasso. Picasso's. Whatever. Picasso's. Picasso. So, anyway. A few months. So he's moved to Los Angeles now. And so a few months later passed and the detectives were, you know, they persuaded Mike to come back to Chicago and appear for an investigated grand jury. So he's like, all right, I'll come back and do this jury shit. So according to one of the detectives, uh, Mike made a claim saying in his interview that he was scheduled to give a testimony. He said that the day after Trisha's murder, his friend, the one that the detectives were looking for as a suspect at the time, mm-hmm. had admitted to him to killing Trisha. So, uh, yeah, what they're saying is, like, during this little, you know, testimony. I mean, they didn't suspect him. Well, they didn't let him know that, you know. So they're like, okay, what do you know about this kid that we got? And he's like, oh, yeah, he confessed to me. Uh-huh. So they're like, oh, so you know. And you weren't talking before. And he didn't say that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, they felt a little iffy about him, whatever. But they were like, you know, this has definitely got to be the guy. Because he was, like, really nervous when he talked about it. And he was just like, you know, whatever. So, uh, later on, uh, Mike was saying, when he was brought to the grand jury to repeat that story, he backed off the claim, making it sound like the friend was joking. How the hell are you joking? Say, you know, a murder that just went on, and you joke, so, mm-hmm, you know, yeah, I, I, did I, I did it. <laughs> so, anyway, of course, you know, they said that, uh, he said that his friend moved out of state, and he was never charged. Mm-hmm. So, detective mm-hmm. says that he tracked him down and tried for six hours to persuade him to talk. And the friend demanded immunity, which Cook County prosecutors refused to grant him. And so Mike apparently was also done talking, well, at least to the police. So after this grand jury testimony, uh, uh, Reed said that he fled the building. Mm-hmm. He was like, ooh, out of here. And not long after, Mike returned to L.A. And Reed and Baldwin, the two detectives, you know, they had to leave the case. Because, I mean, it just went cold. And so that's that's that on that with Trisha. That's that on that. That's that on that. And so now we're going to talk about Ashley Ellerin. Ashley Ellerin. And this is this is the girl. She was dating Ashton Kutcher. Okay. So anyway, let's let me just let me just say it. So Ashley Ellerin. Mhm. Mhm. Ashley Ellerin was she was like really adventurous and shit. And uh, she moved from Northern California to a Hollywood bungalow within walking distance of the Kodak Theater and the fabled Walk of Fame. She had enrolled in the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising, hoping for a career both creative and glamorous. And so she was 22 years old, and she had been linked to actors like Vince Vaughn and Vin Diesel. Oh, I love Vince Vaughn. And Vin Diesel, girl. I said, okay, then Ashley, cut up. <laughs> really and then, uh, so in winter of 2001, she was dating Ashton Kutcher. And, you know, he at the time, he was getting big on that 70s show. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, that's all people be remembering this girl for is her dating Ashton Kutcher. But, like, mm, I, Lord. Anyway, so, <laughs> let me talk about it. 
So her life in Hollywood was like, she was partying, she was working, you know, she wanted to be this fashion designer and all this stuff. She had a bunch of friends and um, one of her friends, Chris Duram, he said that he described her as she was just beautiful and fun and spontaneous. And then she was just really sweet and she was like the life of the party. Life of the party. And so let's get into Mike. Mike was 24 years old when he first met Ashley Ellerin outside her home. He asked her if she needed help fixing a flat tire. Uh, he introduced himself as Mike, and she was out there fixing a flat tire with Chris Duran. Mm-hmm. Her bestie. So anyway, he introduced himself as Mike and gave two of them his card saying he was a heating and air conditioning repairman. So soon he was just showing up unannounced and shit. Like, he invited himself to her parties and stuff, and, like, would, you know, they'd be like, okay, what the fuck is this guy doing? And um, he'd be, like, coming up to Ashley and her friends, like, trying to interrogate them. Uh, but Ashley didn't seem to mind. She was like, okay, whatever, this dude, he kind of cute, whatever. That's what they were saying. But uh, several people in her circle were, like, really uncomfortable with him. Well, was she already broke up with Ashton Kutcher at this time? No, she was still with him. Oh, they were together at this time, yeah. Okay. Uh, but, you know, he was he was busy. So it's like, she would, but, you know, I'm going to get into it. So several of her friends were, like, really uncomfortable with, like, Mike just all of a sudden pop- popping up out of nowhere. And so an example was uh, Ashley's former roommate, Justin Peterson, was giving Mike a ride one day when Mike, for no reason, suddenly grabbed his hand and stared at him really angry. Oh, that's like, what the fuck? Uh, and then hours later, uh, back at home, he saw Mike sitting in a running car across the street with the lights off. And, um... Justin was like, okay, what the fuck is going on? Okay, that's kind of weird. And he said he would see him, like, out there at night. And so, the next that's day... That's suspicious. That's suspicious, right? The next day, when Michael... Uh, you killing me. The next day... <laughs> Mike came to the door saying that he needed to come in to look at uh, Ashley's furnace. And that's when Justin was, like, confronted and was like... Uh, dude what the fuck he said that he looked at him and asked what the fuck was he doing in front of my house at three in the morning and uh looking at the furnace yeah he was he knocked on the door telling him hey i need to come look at the furnace and you know he was like okay fuck all that what was you doing at my house at 3 a.m you know and uh he said that mark's mike started stuttering and then he said that he couldn't go home because chicago investigators were waiting to collect dna samples from him because his best friend's girlfriend had been murdered and so Justin asked him, well, if you're innocent, why aren't you over there confirming this? Right. And uh, Mike then pulled up his pants leg and he pulled out a fucking knife from a case that Ooh. was strapped. Like, it was like strapped to a shim. Yeah. And um, Justin said, I rushed him out the house and I told him I didn't want anything to do with his business. Period. Hmm. So anyway, weird shit was going on with him. And I mean, I guess surely Justin told. I mean, he. I know he. He had. He told Ashley, and I guess she was just like, okay, he's a fucking weirdo. Like we just gotta lock these doughs and stuff, you know. So anyway, the night it was February twenty first, two thousand one, and Ashton Kutcher was actually coming to pick up Ashley to watch the Grammy Awards mm-hmm. uh, on TV uh, with a friend. But and then he asked her if she wanted to meet him for drinks afterwards. Afters, afters. <laughs> anyway, she she was like, "Oh yeah, you know, let's do this shit." So the two spoke twice on the phone that evening, once at seven thirty, and again an hour later. So uh, okay. Ashton later called her, and uh, he he swung by her house, and it was about ten forty five now. And he said that uh, 
like her lights were on and her bmw was in the parking lot so he knocked on the door and when she didn't answer he tried the handle it was locked so he looked through the front window and according to you know ashton kutcher's testimony he said that the place was like fucked up but that was to be expected of her because you know she was like in the midst of remodeling like her house and all that stuff her little bungalow so ashton said that he saw a, a dark red stain that looked like someone had spilled wine near the entrance to her bedroom assuming that she had brushed him off you know he gave up and left so he was thinking oh maybe she's mad at me because i'm late right because she didn't answer the phone and then when he gets there she won't answer the door and so he's like mm, i don't know so he left and half an hour later ellerin's new roommate Pete, uh justin moved out and now she's got this roommate jennifer decito and um she dropped by the apartment and she had left her keys in her boyfriend's car and was hoping that ashley would let her in and so she saw uh ashley's car in the parking lot and the lights were on so she knocked on the door and when there was no answer she went back to her boyfriend's house Mm. she's like damn she ain't gonna let me in i got no keys so it's late as fuck at night so she came to the next she came the next morning at around 8 30 and because she had her keys now and she took a few steps in the bungalow and she saw Ooh, she saw it she saw how you know ashley had been murdered and everything so yeah she was in a turquoise cloth robe uh silk boxer shorts and a cami and a little cami and ashley laid sprawled in a large pool of blood on the carpet leading to her bedroom uh her face was already blue a medical examiner would later testify that she had been stabbed 47 times including a gaping wound to her neck so deep that her spinal cord kept her head from being severed oh yeah the the rest of her body was covered with deep puncture wounds uh her to her chest stomach and back and some up to six inches deep one of the blows actually penetrated her skull and took out a chunk of her skull like a puzzle piece said uh tom small and that was the hollywood detective uh later testified that uh he noticed something else that the position of the body seemed odd as if the victim was moved possibly posed and so to tom all the signs pointed to the disturbing possibility that the murderer was a serial killer Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. so tom small you know like i said he's the hollywood detective and he began he started you know eliminating suspects which obviously ashton kutcher was ruled out and so was the manager of ashley's rental house uh his name was mark durbin or whatever okay and then a man uh that she was messing with um also at the same time i heard dating ashton kutcher so she had this other little side piece but i mean like they wouldn't like boyfriend girlfriend for real for real so i mean i get you know it's whatever she was living her life so yeah this guy got ruled out but uh so what i'm getting to is that they actually had sex uh ashley and this guy but sometime between 7 and 8 p.m and um i guess the guy didn't leave i mean obviously he left after they was done so uh around uh 10 p.m then um mark durbin who's you know like i said he's the uh her rental house manager and he lived nearby so he looked out his window and said he saw a figure walking back and forth of her uh, apartment and so who could this guy be right who was that hang on i guess we know anyway but uh so back to tom small which is the hollywood detective you had a lot to say in the press (laughs) molly Molly was was good good. (laughs) i had to shut up anyway 
So Tom Small, he was like, uh, you know, he was going through a bunch of uh, interviews and leads, and he was just like, I don't know who to put this strange dude, you know, this strange person who could have been, you know, outside of her apartment tonight. And uh, that's when he finally came up with a name uh, to the stranger, which was Michael Garzullo. And all Tom had was uh, Mike's driver's license picture. So that's when he started re-interviewing, re-interviewing witnesses. <clears throat> like he had this picture and he was just like, hey, y'all seen this dude? Mm-hmm. So anyway, each person he talked to, uh, he moved Gar- uh, he moved Mike back up on his, you know, his like, okay, this is my main potential suspect, basically. Right. And uh, Tom said, uh, it's one of those things where you get a little itch in the back of your neck and it kind of bothers you. Like, who is this guy? What's his connection? Nobody seemed to know. And yet, as we progressed further into the case, we came to learn that he had been to the house a, uh, a number of times. So, uh, and this was Tom's profile on Mike. Uh, he had that he was 6'2", with a dragon tattoo on his back. Uh, he was both good-looking and imposing. His arms cooled with muscles. He boxed and worked, worked out at a local gym and also practiced martial arts. Uh, he actually tried... Uh, doing acting when he first got to Hollywood, you know, besides trying to kill folks. <laughs> he actually landed a role in a student movie um, in his career. It was, a bo- it was a boxing movie, and he was, like, one of the boxers. He was kind of, like, an extra. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, in um, 1999, Mike took a job as a bouncer at a Rainbow Bar and Grill on the Sunset Strip, uh, and later he was fired from that because he allegedly decked a customer. That's literally what they have. It says, allegedly decked a customer. So I guess he, like, swung on somebody. But anyway, uh, Mike also had a tendency to tell uh, tall tales about himself. And one was that he was an air conditioning and heating repairman who had once been electrocuted on the job. Another was he was a boxer training for the Olympics. (laughs) And uh, Tom said he had an apparent habit of making himself bigger than what he was. He wanted to control people and impress them. Mm. And another disturbing tale involves something that happened in Illinois. And according to court documents, Mike told several people that Chicago police were trying to frame him for a murder he didn't commit or that they were uh, they were after him for his DNA. And the more information that Tom, you know, got about Mike, the further his suspicions, you know, uh, figuring all this shit out about him. So it wasn't until fall of 2002... In a visit from two Cook County detectives that were reinvestigating that 1993 Illinois murder, which is uh, Trisha Picasso, mm-hmm. Picasso, uh, that uh, Tom felt like he was like, okay, shit, something, we finna connect these dots. So the detectives, including Lou Sala from the Cook County Sheriff's Cold Case Division, had taken over for Reed and Baldwin in 2000, and those were the original detectives on the last Garzillo case. So one of the first things that the new investigators did was submit the physical evidence recovered at the Picasso murder scene, including Trisha's fingernail clippings. Uh, they sent those off for DNA testing at the Illinois State Police Crime Lab. Uh, the hope, Their hope was that newer and more sophisticated scientific methods would succeed. And, bummer, they failed. And yeah, and indeed the the test did detect DNA from two people on Trisha's nail clippings, though uh, her own and an unidentified person. Mm-hmm. So, 
uh, Sala, he had you know enough information. He went and tracked down and collected uh, DNA so- samples from more than 20 witnesses in the case, including that friend of Mike's who initially had been you know the last detective's prime suspect, the guy that he said that moved away and all that. Yeah, none of them matched. So again, and then in 2002, only one person remained on the list, and that was Michael Garzullo. So uh, Lou Zala and his new partner flew to L.A. where they contacted Tom Small in hopes that they could, uh, you know, they could find Mike. Uh, And he'd been tough to find since he seemed to put leases or, he didn't put utilities or leases in his own name, so it was hard to look for him. So when Tom heard that they were looking for her, they were like, or who they were looking for, they were like, hey, you know, y'all know this Garzullo guy. He's like, oh yeah, the type of attack was similar, the victim was similar, the weapon, the manner and methods of the attack were, you know, the stabbing, the locations, like just sneaking up on these women, being a big coward, and just yeah. yanking them. Catching them off guard. Yeah, that was pretty much his MO. But it was crazy because, like, he didn't give a fuck. Like, he didn't know them at all. Yeah. And it wasn't, like, sexual because he never raped any of these women. He just, like, it was just, like, a rage thing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So, anyway, the detectives were all together and they're like, we finna track these motherfuckers down. So they tracked Mike to an apartment listed under the name of his, whoever his girlfriend was at the time, which that's a dumb bitch. Well, she didn't know. But she didn't, why did he get the girlfriend? She didn't know she was a dumb bitch. Yeah, she, she didn't know she was a dumb bitch. <laughs> but anyway, they uh, they tracked him down and they went in that bitch with a warrant in, his, in their hands. They was ready. They found his van and in it they found three knives, binoculars, a, a backpack that had a Halloween mask and a handgun. No, like, what come look on. Like. It looked like stalking to me. Anyway. Oh, like a criminal to me. Criminal. Mm. Then, uh, I smell a criminal. I smell a crime. Okay. <laughs> okay, detective, calm down. Yeah, <laughs> authorities, authorities pull up or whatever, so uh, they apprehended Mike, and when he arrived home, he drove to, uh, listen to me. They drove his ass to this medical center to collect <laughs> DNA samples, because, you know, they had to... They had all the documents. They had warrants and shit. They was ready for him. Mm-hmm. So anyway, according to sources, Mike was pissed the fuck off and he fought detectives and had to be taken to the emergency room because he wasn't finna get no DNA. But then I guess they calmed him down after they took his ass to the emergency room because he was like, you know what? Fuck it. He gonna volunteer? For, you know, he's like, fuck it. Take my DNA. And this is what he said. He said, what if my DNA was on a keychain that was left at a crime scene? I mean that sounds suspicious because I mean they had a key, they found a keychain over there tri- you know I think it was a yeah her fingernail clippings and like a keychain and shit out there yeah but they couldn't they like, wasn't good enough prints to get it uh, tested oh okay yeah so anyway uh he had said you know if my DNA was on a keychain that was left the same blah 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 uh he said they can't find my DNA from ten years ago at a crime scene can they. Uh, and uh, he said, what if my hairs were at a crime scene in Chicago? Can they book me for that? <laughs> Excuse me. And then, uh, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> mm-hmm. She wouldn't let me burp earlier. We had to cut it out. Yeah, <laughs> but I couldn't help that when I'm drinking uh, sparkling water. All right. Anyway, so he was asking all these questions like about Chicago. If, if this was that, that, you know, like, okay, what the fuck are you asking all these questions for? And he was, he was like, never mind, fuck it. 
Okay, so they didn't lock him up while he was waiting on tests. So, and I don't know how long that was taken in 2002 or whatever. So, anyway, Mike went back home home and he started a relationship with this girly named Maria Gorilla. Gorilla, I think is her name. Anyway. And, uh, yeah, something like that. So, he met her while he was fixing her air conditioner. And by February of 2003, the two were living together. But things didn't last, obviously, because Mike is a piece of shit. He actually struck her so hard that she she wound uh, she wound up with a detached retina. What the? According fuck? to testimony, so like, isn't that like I? I guess so. the retina. Yeah. Like he anyway. He also you just said detached. So I was like, oh no, detached retina. I'm <laughs> thinking. I'm thinking. Good. I'm thinking that's something with the eye because this is retina. Yeah. Y'all let us know. I don't know shit. It was detached. He fucked up. <laughs> It sounds like you hurt. So whatever, something shouldn't be detached. So that's yeah. Name, that's why I yeah. said. But oh anyway, that that's what happened. He hit her so hard, her retina got detached from her, wherever that is. <laughs> so anyway, he also he allegedly was uh he stalked and threatened her, saying that he had a degree in forensics and he knew how he'd kill her and get away with it. So he like, oh. but he literally told her he had a degree in forensics and he knew how to kill her and get away with it like red flags well actually if my retina detached red flag <laughs> yeah right then this shit ain't funny anyway maria kicked his ass out and filed a restraining order after um they had a little okay, fight maria. in a supermarket parking lot so i guess that's where it took place that's like some Medea shit you know she was outside the grocery store and pulled up okay i'm getting off track oh yeah that little lady and get, yeah and got into it with, with that the light. little what she have on that little uh called a papa <laughs> yeah she had, the lady had the uh, little pink uh like tennis uniform on or something yeah something but it was i remember it was out in the supermarket but yeah maria maria pulled a medea and they got to fighting out in the supermarket parking lot and she kicked him out got a restraining order so in september 2003 nearly 10 years later after you know this is after trisha picasso had been killed and the dna results picasso picasso, picasso. picasso. it's so hard to, i don't picasso. know how to pronounce it picasso Okay. I'm gonna keep on with that. So the DNA results finally came back, y'all. It must have been rough to get DNA results. Well, I mean they're ten years old too, and this is two thousand two. So in September hey, we saw how hard and long that shit took on SVU back in two thousand two, baby. Yeah, it took a while. They'd be like, "This is something that you would thought the detectives would like put a rush on it." But I mean, I guess in two thousand two, a, couple days and shit, a rush is a couple of days. It'd be a couple back weeks. In yeah. Shit. So anyway, the results finally came back, and um, the DNA on Trisha's fingernails belonged to fucking Mike Garzillo. But Period. still, Tom Small, what? back to this detective, you know he uh, he still didn't have the DNA for um, Ashley's crime scene, mm. and he felt like, oh shit, you know we're not going to charge this guy with Ashley's, but we know he fucking did it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Tom's hope was that the Cook County prosecutors would ha- prosecutors prosecutors that's right would help his case uh not to mention get mike off the motherfucking street because you know that's where he was staying the street so at the time Dick, <laughs> you said, did you say listen to this that's where he was staying is that yeah, that's where he was staying <laughs> cook county baby so anyway uh at the time oh, this is a cool name dick divine that's his name dick divine hey you got dick divine dick shit <laughs> he was the cook county state's attorney uh but it was one of divine's prosecutors scott cassidy who recommended that mike not be charged okay. like really come on now mm-hmm. so the reason the reason was, uh to state you know all these statements in the media and stuff about mike's uh, arrest in la 
And uh, let's see, they emailed Sally. Do- These are some hard names. These LA folks, Sally Dolly. She was a spokeswoman for the current for at the time, not current, but Cook County uh, State Attorney. And and the attorney's name was Anita Alvarez. Damn, we got Sally Daly, Dick Devine, Scott Cassidy, and Anita Alvarez. Anyway, so uh, the state the state's attorney office uh, says that procedures used to gather DNA from Trisha's fingernail clippings made it impossible to determine whether the genetic material came from the tops of the nails or under them. Mm-hmm. Because of that, the office says experts have not been able to rule out the possibility that DNA found its way to uh, Trisha through casual contact. Since uh, Mike was known to have occasionally visited, visited you know, their house, so there was the issue there. Right. Uh, prosecutors also uh, pointed to the to an incident that occurred the day before the murder. Trisha had been walking down her uh, street on the way to her Trisha. boyfriend. Yeah, I'm talking about Trisha Picasso. Okay, yeah. Picasso, because that's what that's where they're getting this DNA from. They're trying to just pin him to something okay. to get him off the stri- get him off the streets. Yeah. Okay. It took me a minute. So anyway, they were comparing like how his DNA went like under her fingernails because. Yeah, so this is what they're saying. Than, you know, that was defense. Yeah, so this is what they're comparing to. They're saying Trisha had, the day before she was killed, uh, Trisha had been walking uh, down the street on her way to her boyfriend's house when Mike, and he was driving his father, his dad's van at the time, he pulled up and offered her a ride. Uh, Scott Olson, which was Mike's friend uh, and his little bandmate, because uh, they had a little band, was in the passenger seat. And even though Scott insists that there was never any physical contact between Mike and Trisha, and he was willing to testify that in court. Whatever. For starters, they said that Scott was... Just like that. Silent. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> he was silent when they tried to interview him. But, but he was talking he 10 years later now, huh? Yeah, and the little detective said that when he talked to Scott, he acknowledged that it was possible for the two had... Uh, came in brief contact but added he never saw them touch and that's what I can testify to period so uh, prosecutors also argued that uh, Trisha could have gotten DNA on her by brushing up against something in the van Mm -hmm. Um, the bottom line the office says is that there are no lab analysis who are willing to take the stand and testify in court that DNA gathered could not have come from casual contact so to the Picasso's Picasso's, Picasso's, <laughs> and to the L.A. detectives, uh, detectives who have looked into Trisha's murder, uh, of course, in support of their own case, the argument is hogwash. That's what they said. So even if Trisha had pushed the back of the seat and somehow picked up Mike's DNA, mm-hmm. uh, she took a long shower the next night before going out. You know, the parents said and everything. So what's more? Witnesses to- uh, told police that the night of her murder, Trisha came into contact with some two dozen of her friends including her boyfriend uh and she hugged and touched him so i mean like if mike's dna was found i mean there's a shit ton of people that she had touched that night so yeah anyway yeah it's a little little sticky situation excuse my chair and in a in a corporate looking suit of offices uh just outside uh los angeles mark lillenfield that's that's a normal name Mark, Mark Lillenfield. It's pretty, pretty yeah, straightforward. You can handle that, huh? I can handle that. Yeah, Mark Lillenfield. Uh, he was a detective uh, at the office of, at the office of. Listen to that. Ooh, at the me. office, L.A. County Sheriff. 
<laughs> he shook his head when uh when they asked him about the casual contact theory. Um, is it possible? He said, "Yes." And it's possible that Barack Obama is going to appoint me head of the Homeland Security and Cindy Crawford is going to leave her boyfriend for me. I haven't gotten my letter from the president and Cindy Crawford isn't banging on my door. That's what he said. So uh, the standard necessary uh, to convict, Lillenfield said, is not proof beyond a shadow of a doubt, but beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. He said, I think sometimes people are unwilling to take a risk professionally. Uh, every prosecutor prosecution is a risk sometimes you got to do the right thing and not worry about the consequences such as losing a case and he said to me charging mike is a no-brainer period that's what tom been trying to tell him so and of course tom uh tom small agreed and he said uh stupid me i thought they were going to arrest him confront him with evidence and see what he had to say right that's what i thought but it didn't work out that way and uh, Reed, which is the past guy. detective, uh, he said, it really troubles, it troubles me enormously. 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 I cannot talk. You're making up all kinds of new words, I buddy. know. Anyway, Reed said, uh, those young women in California are dead because we dropped the ball. Because, you know, that was the t- original detectives there. So. Yeah. And a, cook, a spokesperson for the Cook County State's attorney uh, came forward and said, um, some police officers, family members, and journalists have second-guessed or criticized the state's attorney office for not bringing charges in this case, and they are certainly entitled to their opinions. We understand and, to some extent, share those frustrations, but ethical guidelines prohibit the charging of a case without evidence in hand that will enable us to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. So that was... They wasn't really with this shit. They couldn't do much. And I get it with the DNA. Yeah. But this motherfucker got off. Yep. Again. So, after Ashley's death, and after all of that, Mike packed his shit, and he moved to a gated apartment complex in El Monte, where he fatally stabbed his neighbor, Maria Bruno, who was the third victim. And that was on December, uh, December 1st, 2005. And this was four years after he had murdered ashley so yeah now we've been that was that was ashley so now we're going to get into the third victim maria bruno here's a little something something about her this is what we said they said she was really pretty um and this is literally what i got and i'm sad i didn't find her birthday no. like i just got where she died okay. anyway but yeah she was really pretty she was um she moved from el salvador to the u.s when she was a teenager and she met her husband uh shortly after she came here and she th- uh, they got married and later she gave birth to four children she was also wow. an aspiring model like she was really pretty like we'll post the pictures and stuff like she was she was out here just trying to make a little change whatever make a little change yeah like i said i thought somebody would take it like make a change but like no make some change like yeah, you get cash money yeah cash money i mean if you're good looking use it you know not man in the mirror we in el monte Jackson change but yeah change. yeah yeah money. chain like man, yeah make spare change. change spare change anyway <laughs> so during the time she was recently she was se- a hustler she had just been separated from her husband and so maria was starting a new chapter of her life she's done she's like okay i got these kids um i didn't kick my man to the curb whatever 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 she's going through 
So she had chose to move into her apartment building specifically because it's uh because of its security. Ten days before she was fucking murdered, she moved into this apartment, and like I said, she moved there for the security. So a weird guy had been watching her. What she told her friends uh, once. Uh, the dark-haired man wearing a hooded sweatshirt and a baseball cap had followed her into her apartment and without her realizing it, uh, this was according to witnesses, of course, uh, and a few seconds later, he backed out saying, okay, I'm leaving, and she shut the door in his face. So, like, she's walking to her apartment and, like, he just follows her in there and she's just like, you know, she's walking and she's probably looking at the paper or something, I don't know, her phone, whatever. And she turned around like, he's like, okay, I'm leaving. And just... She slams door in his face. And that, that's just, I don't know. Couldn't be me, bitch, because I'd be slamming the door after I walk in, so. <laughs> if he would have, if somebody's behind me while I'm walking in, they're going to get hit with the dough. And I'm scary as fuck, so when I'm going, I'm going I'd be coming I'm backwards. I'm looking around. Oh, look, and be walking in backwards, you know what I'm saying? Shut the door. I'd be looking in at my rear view Baby, you wouldn't have... Yeah, so I don't but, know what she, you know, she, yeah, like you said, she could have been on her little, her she, little and like, blackberry you know, or something. <laughs> Black or looking at the paper or no, something. Yeah, and, and plus, like, like, we, like, she moved there for the security. She like, hell, it ain't nothing to worry about around this motherfucker or something. Yeah, so yeah, she's like, okay, I'm gonna look down. She probably thought she could walk in the apartment with her eyes closed. I don't know. Yeah, blindfolded. Anyway, y'all, she was, she was 32 uh, years old at the time. And, uh, so this was the night of December 1st, 2005. The, well, there's her age right there. If in 2005 she was 32, 32 then her birth... That, well, well I still at least the year she was born. Somebody do the math, because we Somebody know do the fucking math. You know what? I do wish I had her birthday, but fuck her birthday. <laughs> right now. Yeah, so anyway, it was not a December 1st, y'all. 2005. And the killer climbed through the kitchen window of her apartment in El Monte. Um, Maria was attacked sometime uh, in the evening and so the guy I don't want to say Mike because like you know it's, it's, they don't know right now so I'm going to call him the intruder the intruder Ooh, grabbed a butcher motherfucker Mike don't confuse nobody okay so Mike grabbed a butcher knife on her kitchen counter and in a frenzied attack that the police they they think okay they, it only lasts a couple minutes, what they're saying. Yeah. Autopsy and all that. Uh, she was stabbed 17 times, causing deep wounds to her chest, arms, and stomach. And same with Ashley's uh, autopsy. I had to find that word. Uh, Maria's throat was slashed so deeply that she was nearly decapitated. So like there I told you go. about Ashley's, like her her, uh, her spine was what was keeping her head up. Yeah, yeah. Same with uh, Maria. So... Mike also sliced off both of Maria's breasts and uh, several of her wounds, wounds, several, several of her wounds, <laughs> several of her wounds were inflicted <laughs> after she was dead. Uh, and that was according to uh, Mark Lillenfield. That was the LA detective that's on this case. And so same with Ashley's case, the kill, uh, Mike, uh, had the same MO. Uh, he changed Maria's body position. So, and, also, like the like Trisha and Ashley's murders, uh, both robbery and sexual assault were ruled out. Uh, and like 
Tom Small and Mark Lillenfield thought the attack had markings of a serial killer, mm. obviously. Uh, unfortunately, he had to go uh, on beyond a description given to a sketch artist of a young, good luck. This is the description I had to give. It was young, good-looking, dark-haired man, and that was the weird guy who had been paying attention to Maria. Is I guess that's how they showed uh, pictures and stuff around for the neighbors and all that. Yeah. Uh, so Mark did discover one intriguing piece of physical evidence at the scene, which was a blue medical booty uh, that was found outside Maria's apartment with uh, her blood on it, and also with Mike Garzullo's DNA on it. And of course, that's when they found out. Okay, they live in the same apartment complex. Uh, so Mike's attorneys argued that Maria's was actually murdered by her husband which mm. i mean ex-husband whatever ex-husband, yeah. so uh during the trial prosecutors played the 911 call from uh his name was irving bruno which was maria's ex-husband uh which the 911 call i didn't i i actually listened to it it was it was bad it was bad. So uh, what he told told me was like he found her mutilated in a pool of blood with her breast. Im- and she had implants, too, by the way. So uh, mm-hmm. she was in a pool of blood with her breast implants cut out and her nipple allegedly covering her mouth. God damn. Yeah, it was pretty heinous. He said he testified saying it's been extremely tough throughout the years. I wouldn't want anyone to go through what I went through. The images that I've seen, I cannot unsee them. Those images have caused great pain for me, which I, I mean, yeah. So that was Maria Bruno. So now we're moving on to the fifth victim, which is three years later, and this was on this is uh, on the night of April twenty eighth, two thousand eight, and this is uh, a little bit about Michelle Murphy. Uh, she was petite. Uh, you know, they described her as a beautiful twenty eight year old blonde. Uh, and once again, I don't have a birthday. So this is what was going on. Uh, she was finished. She finished her laundry and turned out the lights in her Santa uh, Santa, Mon- Santa Monica <laughs> apartment, and she went to sleep. And she woke up sometime after midnight in a fight for her life. So my, I'm, I couldn't I'm, imagine. Like so, she's doing her laundry. She goes to the apartment. She lights out. She going to bed. Whatever. Uh, so Mike was wearing a hoodie and a baseball cap and was straddling her body, uh, stabbing her in her chest. Uh, she grabbed the blade and it like sliced her hand up and she was kicking at him and, uh, her blood, uh, slicked. Oh, this is making me sick. Her blood slicked her body, making it hard for him to hold her. Like that's how much blood was on her. Uh, so at some point Mike had actually cut himself and you know that's when she well, got, good this is when murphy like kind of sees this moment so she pulled her feet to her chest and just horse kicked horse his kicked ass. his ass off of her and um mike fell against the wall and he said i'm sorry and ran out she survived yes this is this uh, is the one that survived this is how anyway so the listen. last motherfucker they yeah. get is usually the sur- the one that survives yeah uh and lives to tell the tale and snitches yeah. on it's not snitch i mean and you know helps get the ass so that's good. yeah so that's this good. is michelle like i said so <coughs> as he ran out of her Excuse house me. uh he left a trail of blood obviously uh the spatters led all the way down the steps and across the alley uh towards an apartment complex and it was the same damn complex that detectives later you know discovered that were that was uh mike garzullo's 
Okay, uh, he let him the blood led right to his motherfucking apartment. He went right to his apartment. He's a fucking dumbass. And then at this time, he was actually married to a woman named Anna, <laughs> another dumb bitch who didn't know who she was. Didn't a know dumb, she was a dumb. Didn't know bitch. she was a dumb bitch. Uh, uh, uh. But uh, don't her be name, a dumb bitch that don't don't be a dumb bitch that like, don't know you're a dumb bitch. Yeah, don't don't be a okay. Yeah, be a um, smart bitch. Yeah. Be a smart bitch. Be aware that you're a smart bitch. That's right. So anyway, he was married to her and uh, married to Anna Luz Gonzalez. Okay. Okay. Anna Luz, whatever. Anna Luz. Okay. And uh, they've been living together since around 2007. Uh, And this was in a second floor apartment and it had a direct view across the alley right into uh, Michelle Murphy's apartment. Mm. So, you know, binoculars and shit, I'm sure he was doing. But like, I don't know how you married and stuff and just still going up at these stalking. Like, is there's not much on the why or th- that past girlfriend when he killed um, Ashley. Maria. I mean, yeah, he had a gr- he he didn't have a girl when he killed uh, Ashley, but it's like, did they not notice this stuff? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, I mean, I guess no, he hit there's it. There's no way for us to know. They could have, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's not much on them really. Uh, yeah. They didn't really. I don't even think either one of them testified. Oh, okay. They're so, just like, leave us the fuck out of it. Yeah, they're just like, oh, I don't know. So anyway, they lived together uh, since 2007. Mm-hmm. And in this apartment, you know, whoop-de-whoop, he could see right into Michelle's apartment. So he had obviously stalked her before he went up in that bitch. And he mm-hmm. knew her routine. So uh, now we go into Sergeant Rich Lewis. And uh, he was of the Santa Monica Police Department. And the next step was obvious. Test the damn DNA from that blood left at the scene. And he was going to enter into, they entered into the National Police Database and hope for a hit. A month later, they got it. The attacker's DNA was the same found on the fingernail clippings of a 1993 murder victim in Glenview, Glenview, Illinois, named Trisha Picasso. Uh The DNA belonged to Michael Garzullo. The Santa Monica Police Department arrested Garzullo in a right raid parking lot on June 6, 2008. A right raid? Yeah, a right aid. Right. So whatever that was going on in 2008, what's right raid? Right aid. All right, keep talking. I'll look it up. Go ahead. Appreciate it. So (laughs) (laughs) a search of his car produced. um, They found a bag with some tools and fucking blue medical booties, which was found, you know, at the fucking environment. Found over there at Maria's. Remember, they found a blue medical booty. So, anyway, he was charged with the attempted murder of Michelle Murphy. Oh, hey, Rite Aid's a pharmacy. Ooh, that's some too, that that even sound 2008 for a and pharmacy. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those of y'all that knew that, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> anyway, so they got his ass and part of it. And they searched his car. They found, them, uh, found some tools in the medical booties. And that's when he was charged with the attempted murder of Michelle Murphy. Uh, so soon... You know what I'm saying? For these detective dominoes just began to tumble. And uh, this DNA match made uh, Sergeant Lewis think of a murder he had discussed months earlier with Mark Lillenfield, who was the detective, you know, of the L.A. County Sheriff. Uh, So about Maria Bruno, right? Mm. So on a hunch, Sergeant Lewis called Mark Lillenfield, who, um, you know, can I call him Sarge? Yeah, Sergeant had... uh, he had a name and a face, and so they began uh, reinvestigating Maria's death. Uh, they discovered that Mike had lived in the same complex as Maria. Whoop de whoop, you know. Uh, 
puzzle pieces they, they come together. Yeah. So once again, yeah, they they uh, retalked to some witnesses and they said, you know, yeah, he, they retalked. <laughs> yeah, retold. Fuck it. Yeah, I was talking to some more witnesses, and they said, "Yeah, he was saying that she was really attractive and stuff like that." I guess when he was taking the trash out, and one of the neighbors was walking the dog, he was like, "Damn that Maria over there, she's she's cute. She's pretty cute." And they were like, "They're like noted." <laughs> they were like, "So and so took a note of this." <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, wait, 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 wait. It was like you know, so and so will remember this. Mm-hmm. Sure? We're talking about video games, y'all. Anyway, so um, Mark uh, went to Mike's apartment, which was now, of course, empty. And he was hoping to find some physical evidence in that bitch. So after he searched all the rooms, he checked the attic. Uh, and then he found a plastic bag, a single medical booty. The same make and manufacturer as the one that they had found, you know, at Maria's, outside Maria's apartment. So a test of sin scale sin skills it is a sin it was a sin but i'm talking about skin they tested skin cells on the booty that matched the dna to mike so with dna linking mike to two murders and one attempted murder Mm -hmm. tom and mark had enough evidence to file their own cases with the la district attorney's office period get into it so already the motherfucker was already in jail for you know attempted murder of michelle murphy uh mike was charged in september 2008 of ashley ellerin and maria bruno the killings so just they got ashley and maria got their justice and of course michelle so uh after a two-week preliminary hearing in june 2010 hold on now i'm gonna talk about trisha we're talking about ashley and maria and michelle Michelle. so uh in 2010 (laughs) judge allowed evidence (coughs) excuse me i'm so sorry we need to put that out earlier that's all right uh the judge allowed evidence of the of trisha's murder to be introduced as well during this trial so mike was ordered to stand trial and at uh at the time this story went to press of course and trial date hadn't been set yet so those two that were expected to testify was who we know ashton kutcher (laughs) do y'all hear biscuit crime (laughs) <laughs> anyway so ashton kutcher got up there and he'd help establish the time of ashley's attack and if uh L- yeah la judge allows it mark and tom say the trisha murder will be recounted when mike is tried for the killings of maria and ashley okay. as well as attempted uh murder mm-hmm. of michelle murphy so at the preliminary hearing the evidence will be introduced under california's prior bad act statute mm-hmm. the law allows allusions to crimes that are substantially similar in motive and method to the offense that has been charged provided the judge rules there is a reasonable likelihood the defendant committed both crimes a similar law does not exist in illinois which was where trisha you know so as tough as they have been on the cook county state's attorney cook county state's attorney yeah the la detectives and the uh, picasso's uh, both praise efforts <laughs> of Lusala and the other cook county sheriff's cold case detectives who continue to investigate trisha's death they was like we finna fight we finna trisha finna get justice period hell you so tom small said since i started working with the cook county sheriff's police in 2002 the guys that i've dealt with and worked with are first class detectives i have nothing but good things to say about them so good so and then as for the state attorney's office uh mark lillenfield tom small reed and baldwin you know all the 
OG detective to this whole case. Uh, I still had like, of course, harsh critics and stuff to say. They said, uh, all I know is if I were the Picasso family, I would be beyond outrage. Uh, Tom had said, uh, he said, because I know that the, the Ashley's family, what all they went through. So like all those years of being patient and wanting to, they just wanted to like, to know for sure that Mike Garzillo did this to their daughter. Yeah, yeah. You know, they didn't have that, like, as quickly. Because, I mean, that was the first one. Trisha was the first one that he, you know, murdered. And so Ashley and Maria and Michelle, all their families, of course, had their little closure. Yeah. But the Picasso's didn't, and they had been waiting the longest. So, um, That's true, yeah. <clears throat> but, yeah, that was then. This is now. So... On July 16th, 2021, Hollywood Ripper Michael Garzillo was sentenced to death in California. Dun, dun, dun. And the crowd went wild. Yup. Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Larry P. I'm like, oh yeah, Larry P. Uh, he called 45, now he's, you know, at the time he's 45 years old. Mike's crimes vicious and frightening as he handed down the sentence. He also said, the judge said, everywhere that Mr. Garzillo went, death and destruction followed him. Oh, so. Yep. He was convicted in August of 2019 of the 2001 murder of Ashley Ellerin, who was 22 at the time, and the 2005 murder of a 32-year-old Maria Bruno. He was also found guilty of attempted murder in 2008 attack on Michelle Murphy, and Garzillo is expected to be extradited to Illinois to stand trial for the 1993 slaying of 18-year-old Trisha Picasso, and also when he was 17 years old. So, And all of this being said at this little trial thing, uh, his response to the sentence was, this is what he said, I'm going to death row wrongfully and unjustly. I did want to testify, and my fundamental choice was blocked. Okay, we don't care. Bye. And I was watching, like, the trial. <coughs> and, like, he was, like, literally, he was just fucking rambling up there. Because he, he really wanted to, um, he really wanted to testify. And, I mean, they wouldn't allow, I mean, they've, they've got him. So, like, what was he going to go up there and say? Yeah. Like, I mean, like. There's, can't defend yourself against you physical were, evidence. You really can't. And after... And just common sense. And after almost 20-something, 20, 20 I mean, really, dude? Well, I just would have been like, hell, you know, had me in the pen this long. I'm, I mean, I just don't... I don't get that about, you know, serial killers. Once they've been caught and they would just want to keep secrets and shit. Like, hell, you go... And if you Even go if they're on death row. Death row. Like, they will take that shit to their fucking grave just to shit on people's families. Mm-hmm. The, their victims' families. Just like one po- uh, one I was listening to the other day about Albert Fish, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I just finished Like that how day. it was, they said it was several other kids hey, that he Hey, shout out killed. to our girlies at Morbid. Oh, yeah, shout Ashley out to Morbid. I know a lot of people that listen listen to Morbid. I like hope him. we could be half as good as Morbid. Probably never would My be. absolute favorite podcast. Same. But anyway, like I'm saying about Albert Fish, like he, they said that there was more kids that he, you know, because they were talking about, like, that got drugged yeah. into this place. And even more people that could have helped him out, you know? Yeah, that also, yeah that he had, like, accomplices and stuff. It's like, he didn't bother to tell police that. It's like, it's, it's weird, because, like, if they don't ask, they don't tell. Yeah. You know, like, the detectives don't ask them and shit, they just don't tell. 
I mean, you even had Charles Manson saying that he was innocent. And him and his family were innocent in the, the and whole he way took, through. And he took that shit with him. He took that shit with him. But he had some, he was mental. I don't know. I was watching a court. <laughs> I was speaking of him. I, I watched this thing where, like, his attorney and all them, like, the defense attorney and stuff was all in this, like, together. You know what I'm saying? Like, discussing, like, trials and stuff. Yeah. And, I mean, he was just fucking going off about nothing. And I, I couldn't even fucking watch it because I was like, I, it was interesting to me, of course, because I love true crime and whatnot. But, like, he was just fucking rambling. And I was like, oh, this more really crazy yeah dude because he was like i didn't kill anybody i mean <laughs> as he Maybe says he with didn't. his fucking what is that on his fucking forehead uh, I the nazis it's a nazis on oh yeah anyway motherfuckers is crazy y'all I mean, he, he might not actually went and killed sharon tate but that doesn't mean he didn't tell his right. goons to go up there and do it and you know he could he could have killed other people before and exactly they could have killed a bunch of people before and so guys big celebrities so. what we're trying to say here is if you kill somebody and get caught with physical evidence and you've already been in jail for 20 years just go ahead and tell the rest just of your story tell just Tell the rest of your story. Don't take that shit to your grave. Play it out, man. Let these families get their closure. Let them. And like, that's another thing I can't stand. Like, if you know you buried a motherfucking body somewhere, like, why would you not just tell them? Like, you you killed them. Whoop to whoop. You got off like, on you that. Just mad that you got caught and shit. Like, like, just fucking tell these families so that they can have closure. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. and I'm telling how many kid bodies just. Ooh, Albert Fish, y'all. That makes me sick. Yeah. After this, y'all need to go listen to uh, Morbid's podcast that Albert Fish is in four parts. There's they did four s- parts. They did such a good job. Yeah. It was, it was Elena's. Uh, Elena was doing yeah. Albert Fish. Also, sorry. Abby's got to do more talking. She's way better. So, this is probably my last for a long time. Hollywood Ripper took um, a toll on I'll me. I'll take it from here. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. You did good. It'll get better, guys. What episode is this? Six. Six. Well, anyway, I guess that is all. Look, we got a good hour and um, a good hour for you. Almost an hour and twenty minutes. Yeah, no problem. So this is a long one. This is a doozy. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed. Um, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you in the fucking next one, dude. Yeah. Thanks. Peace out. All right. Deuces. I'm gonna go listen to Suicide Solution. <laughs> <laughs>